The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. I will never forget uh, this one particular morning, many years ago now, it was, it was a Monday. It was August 24th, 1992. I was uh, 10 years old at the time. We, I remember walking outside of the house I grew up in, uh, in Cooper City, and um, the world outside, I had lived there for many years, but the world outside did not look familiar. It was a very different landscape because one of the most dramatic hurricanes ever to hit South Florida had just bombarded our region. I remember walking outside, and and you know, it's funny, the little details in moments like this that get singed in your your memory. I remember there there was tons of wreckage outside, even um, in South Broward and Cooper City, let alone those of you who have memories from growing up or being in, in South Miami. But I remember just um, my memories where I just remember seeing like, I had never seen like leaves. I just remember just branches and leaves like a blanket. You could barely even see the ground. I remember as we began to kind of walk through our street, trees that were some of the largest trees that you'd think if anything could survive winds like that, they had just been knocked aside like they'd just been kicked over. Things were not where they were supposed to be. Fences were down, vehicles were moved. It was incredible. But some of you have memories far more dramatic. So many of you that are part of our church family were in uh, South Miami at the time, maybe in Homestead, and maybe even in some of the particularly notoriously devastated neighborhoods like Country Walk. And you maybe remember scenes like this. Check out this picture as a reminder um, you remember, I mean, just whole areas just leveled. I mean, just wreckage. And you probably remember what it was like. I mean, just for months and months, uh, it was a, a war zone. I mean, it took years to rebuild. But there were some things that were, uh, it wasn't just the trauma. I mean, th- this storm marked South Florida, and it wasn't just the trauma that changed South Florida. There were other things that this storm changed about South Florida. One of the things is it changed like our culture when it comes to getting ready for a storm. Because I remember even as a kid, I remember before Andrew came through, I remember um, driving in, the, in, my, in my parents' car in the back seat, driving to fill up with gas. And I remember looking as, as people were putting up um, sheets of plywood over their, over their windows because they didn't have hurricane shutters and others. Maybe you remember this. Do you remember the other thing that people used to do when hurricanes came through? They'd take a roll of duct tape. You remember this? This sounds crazy now, okay? This was common practice for preparing for a hurricane. They would take a roll of duct tape and they would put an X on the window. And as you can see, that's not going to be very effective for a storm. But it changed the culture like that. That did not happen after 19. I don't remember that ever being done again after 1992. I mean, it changed our culture, but it was more than just our culture's reaction to the storm that changed. It actually changed the system. It changed the actual building codes. There's like a BC and an AD of building codes in South Florida. 
There's pre-Andrew and there's post-Andrew. And the codes post-Andrew are very different. They are built to construct to a, a, a home that's sturdy enough to withstand incredible storms coming through. It's built sturdy enough. It's built differently. There are different building codes on this side of the storm. But one of the other things that's notoriously remembered, and it goes back to especially notorious in, in the areas around uh, Country Walk, is it wasn't just bad building codes, it was bad building practices. And, from, and this is outside of uh, my discipline, but from those of, um, that are in the construction industry that I've asked about this, they said um, the way that the houses were constructed, if you drove through the neighborhood, they looked fine. They looked like maybe any other house in South Florida. But it was the things you couldn't see under the surface that were an incredible threat. There were, whole, there were whole roofing structures that were not even nailed together. They were stapled together. And there were, there were, there were whole roofs that were basically just being held on to, their, to the rest of the body of the house with just a few nails. And so the whole system had to shift. Now, let me bring that over to what we're talking about today. Here, here's why I, I bring this up. It's not just to um, strike terror in all of our hearts because we're going into the hurricane season. So sorry about the timing. <laughs> that was not intentional. Okay. Um, but I bring that over because of what we're looking at today. This passage talks about building. And you know, you and I, we're building a lot. There's a lot that you're building. You could probably sit there and think of like six eight, 10 things that you're actively building in your life right now. You're building a career. You're building good health. You're trying to build those, those good health rhythms. You're trying to uh, build wealth. You're trying to build for retirement. You're trying to build friendships and relationships. You're trying to build for your basic needs. Maybe you're trying to build into your kids. You're trying to build their academics. You're trying to build their extracurriculars. There's all kinds of things. We could exhaust ourselves thinking about all the things that we are building. And God says a few things about how we're building. We can build with the codes of those around us, or we can build the way God builds and build something sturdy that will last. And it talks about all that we're building, and it directs us to building in a certain way so that we're building diligently, but out of a place of rest. Let me show you what this text says, because it is profound. It's Psalm 127. If you'd open in your Bible or your Bible app, open to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. We're going to start in verse 1. Here's what it says. A song of ascents of Solomon, unless the Lord builds the house those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now let's pause there and just, there's a lot already just in the context of this psalm before we go any, any further. The book of Psalms, let's just start here. The book of Psalms is the largest book of the Bible. There's 150 psalms. In other words, it's 
poetry, it's songs, it's hymns, it's the, the songbook of the Old Testament, but don't misunderstand, it's not like a biblical collection of like Hallmark cards. It's not just nice words to make you feel better. I mean, there is incredible wisdom in here. There's, there's theology in here. There is uh, songs that will shape and direct your heart and your soul as to how to engage God. It is a profound book of the Bible. It is uh, arranged into five different books. There's five books within the Psalms, and then even within those books, there's little sections, and this is right in the middle of one of those sections. Psalm 120 through Psalm 134 is the section known as the Songs of Ascent. 15 Psalms that were for a specific occasion. They were arranged for a particular occasion. Most scholars believe the occasion was uh, the few times a year when all of those in Israel would make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem for a couple of the feasts. There were a few feasts throughout the year, and Israel, wherever they were, the law commanded them to bring their families to Jerusalem to celebrate the feasts, a feast such as um, Pentecost or Passover or Tabernacles. These are some of the types of feasts that they would be celebrating there in Jerusalem. So many scholars believe these are the songs, and because right as you're traveling from all over, you get to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is up on at the top of a mountain or a hill, Mount Zion. So as they're approaching upward to Mount Zion, and at the pinnacle of Zion is the temple, as they're walking up to Mount Zion, these are the 15 songs that they would sing along the way. So imagine you go all the way back then, you're in that time period, this is 2,500, 3,000 years ago, and I want you to imagine that you and your family, these are the songs you're singing every time that particular feast comes along. So there's a particular kind of nostalgia probably to these songs. It's probably not unlike there are particular songs that we hear at particular um, holidays, like Christmas songs, for example. And there's certain songs. Some of them are old songs. Some of these songs are generations old, but you hear it every Christmas. Maybe one billion times every Christmas. Maybe by like December 20th, you're like, I'm done with that song. Could we not listen to it anymore? Okay, you hear those songs. But when you hear it, it's triggering something in you, right? It triggers uh, nostalgia. It triggers um, memories. It also triggers kind of that passage of time, right? That whole, all of that around that holiday. Now you're thinking back of all the things that happened since the last time you did all of these traditions. So imagine you're walking with your family. You're traveling to Jerusalem. Maybe it took a day, maybe a few days. You're traveling with your family to Jerusalem. You're maybe traveling with other families. Good chance that you're walking and you're making that trek and along the way, maybe as you're walking and the kids are getting bored and asking how much longer to Jerusalem, you start into another song to keep the kids, uh, keep the kids entertained. Or maybe it's that night when you stop and you've built a fire and you're all sitting around with the rest of the families and there's a couple songs that you sing and as you sing those same familiar songs that have been around for generations, you're reminded. It's kind of a, reset moment. You're thinking back of, wow, man, what has transpired since the last time we were traveling to 
to Passover. Man, think about all the things we thought would happen this last year. And look what happened. It's just kind of that moment where you kind of, kind of get an altitude level higher and look back over what's transpired over the previous year. That, that's what these songs are. Songs of Ascent. We're in Psalm 127, and it opens up with this. And this is a great question if you're in that moment, right? Think about these questions. It, it, it says, if the Lord is not the one building the house, your labor's in vain. In other words, if the Lord's not building it, you are wasting your time. Then it says, if the Lord's not watching over it, you're wasting your time. These are two great metaphors here. There's the builder and there's the watcher. There's the one that's constructing. There's the one watching over it. This is two brilliant metaphors. This, was, this particular psalm was written by Solomon. Solomon is a man who built a lot of things. He built many buildings. He built many industries. He built up the whole empire. He didn't just build up his city. He built up the whole empire. And then he had to watch over it. There's a certain type of responsibility and a certain type of skill set and a certain type of anxiety that is required to be the builder. And there's a certain type of responsibility, a certain type of uh, skill set, and a certain type of, of anxiety to watch over something. He's, uh, he's, he's built whole cities and buildings. Now he has to maintain it. He's built, he's built it up, now he has to watch over it. He thinks about a builder who's building, 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 and when he gets done, the whole thing was a waste of time. All of that energy, thinking about building, and it's a waste of time. He's talking about a, a watchman, the person that has the anxiety of having to stay awake, to watch over, to make sure there's not an attack on what they're watching over. You know, most cultures... It is a capital offense in most militaries. It is a capital offense for a sentry or a watchman to fall asleep on the job. There's been times I've struggled to stay awake. They struggle to stay awake because their life depends on it. It is a capital crime. The punishment is execution for falling asleep. Talk about how much coffee I'd bring with me that day, man. I'm like not wasting any time, all right? Thermos is full of espresso, okay? I'm not risking it, all right? We can't have a bout of narcolepsy right now, all right? So that it's watching over that. And he says, look, you can stay awake. You can meticulously scan the horizon. You can watch for any conceivable thing to break in and mess up what you're watching over. But if the Lord is not watching over it, it's a waste of time. Great provocative statements that kind of bring questions for that moment because you can imagine all the things they're thinking about that they're building. They're halfway to Jerusalem. They're sitting around by a fire and they start thinking this. And they've got their families around them, their friends around them, and they start thinking and they're singing this song. If the Lord doesn't build the house, I'm laboring in vain. And they're starting to think about what are they building? They're thinking about their herds that they're building. And I, man, last Passover, I told myself when I got back, I was going to do this, this, and this. And then when did it happen? Or maybe it's their vineyard or it's their farm. Or maybe they're a, a stone worker or a carpenter. Or maybe they have a little shop in a little, one of the little villages in Galilee. And they're thinking, man, I, I, I'm going to do this differently next time when I go back. They're thinking about all that they're building. And it's this pause button that says, 
all that energy, entrepreneurial energy, all that building energy, if God's not building it, it doesn't matter. But here's, it's one thing with the, the energy to build. And once you build something, you're like, awesome, great, high five, we built it. And now a whole new type of anxiety comes on you. You have to maintain it. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you've, uh, maybe you've built a house before. Maybe you had a house built and it was all the deadlines that you had to meet and, and all the things that, that had to happen and all the setbacks and finally you go in and it's the first day you're in the house and you're in that house and it's great and the excitement is good for a while and then you have to maintain it. And then you have to make sure you keep up with it. Then you have to make sure you repair the things. And then there are things that are not built right. You gotta go back and build again. And then you've got, there's stuff that has to be repainted and stuff that has to be replaced and stuff that has to be updated. And they have all the things and then it gets termites. And then you've got this and you've got all the things now to upkeep it. Or maybe you spent all the time planning the wedding and you're waiting for the day that you would be married and finally you get to the end of the wedding and the wedding happened and, and you're, you go on the honeymoon and then you come back and now you have to watch over a marriage. And you thought the anxiety of planning a wedding was difficult. A whole new anxiety comes into your life, watching over a marriage and now a family. Maybe you tried to build up a company and you're, you took out small business loans, and you had all these things and you're building up a, a company and then you have the, the, the grand opening and you had all your friends and families, they come in and you're like, wow, we did it, high five, grand opening, we built the company. But now there's another whole type of anxiety. You watch over that company. You're scanning the horizon. You're making sure nothing's coming in to, make, to, to, to hurt that company. Or maybe you were waiting for children. You wanted children and you prayed for children and then God finally blessed you children and with, with children you couldn't believe it. You had all that anxiety living up to that. But now you're watching over children. See, there's two different types of anxiety. There's that builder anxiety and there's that watchman anxiety. There's that entrepreneurial energy and skill set, and then there's that managerial engineering kind of skill set where you're watching over and making sure that nothing threatens it and it's continuing to go. And at this moment where they're kind of reflecting back on the previous year around the campfire, it's a moment to be reminded. If the Lord doesn't build it, it won't happen. And if he's not watching over it, all of that energy is in vain. Makes them pause and reflect about all the things that we're building and watching over. Because when we need to build something and we need to like protect something or manage something or watch over something, like th there's a reflex that we have. We have this, I'm just gonna make it happen. But look what the next verse says. Remember, this is written by Solomon, and um, he was one of the wisest men in history for a season. And he knows right where our brains are going because he built and watched over far more than any of us. Here's what he says. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. He knows exactly. It's predictable. You know, one of the things Solomon wrote in another place in Ecclesiastes, he says, there's nothing new under the sun. Like the things that our reflexes and impulses, it's just the same as these ancient 
uh, ancient pilgrims going to Jerusalem in the same way as we think about, oh, I know I'm trying to build that, or oh, I know that this is not where I want. I'm watching over that. I'm building this. I'm watching over that. And, and a lot of times I'm sure their reflex was to sit around that campfire. Maybe they're now up in the morning and they're, they're walking again. So they're singing. And as they're walking, probably in their mind is, you know what? I promised myself last Passover when I got back home, I was going to do this. And this is the year. I'm just going to make it happen. Whatever it takes. I mean, whatever it takes to finish building that herd or finish building that little shop in the marketplace or whatever it takes to build it. If I, man, if I need to stay late, if I need to get up early, I'm just going to make it happen. He knows right where our brains go when it comes to all that builder energy and all that builder anxiety and all that watchman energy and anxiety. He knows exactly where our brains go. He says, you can, if you want, you can get in that get it done, grind it out mode, stay up late or stay at the office late, get up early, go to the office early. You can, you can get up early, go to bed late. It doesn't change the fact. If the Lord's not building it, you're wasting your time. If the Lord's not watching over it, you are wasting your time. He says, and here's what you know, and it's just, it's true 3,000 years ago as it is today. And all of that extra effort to try to control will result in just feasting on the, on the bread of anxiety. What a metaphor. All you're doing in all the early mornings and late nights, you're wolfing down something called anxiety. You're just gobbling it up, swallowing it whole, and all your efforts to control, all your efforts to do what only God can do is bringing all types of anxiety into your life. So it's not only is it a waste of time, that's what you're bringing into your life. He says, but the Lord gives to his beloved sleep. Now you say, or maybe you're like, hey, I struggle with sleep, so can we just pause on that for a second? Because uh, I'm very interested in what you're about to say. What does the Bible say about sleep and the Lord giving it? Because um, I've not been given, maybe you say, I've not been given a whole lot of that here lately. Okay, for starters, um, this is in poetry, so let's I uh, understand the, the, the metaphor here. He's talking in the same way there's not literal bread. He's talking about more than just literal sleep. He's not, not talking about literal sleep, but he's talking more about that. He's talking about anxiety and restfulness. And he gives to his beloved sleep. Now we've done on the City Rev Life podcast, we've done a, a podcast on, on sleep and, and how that's a holistic approach to literal sleep. Let's just follow this tangent for a second. There's holistic sleep. Sometimes there's something biologically going on and a partnership with your doctor is a good, healthy, godly thing to do. Sometimes there's something emotional going on, maybe a partnership with a Christian community and a counselor and working through some of those things. Sometimes there is something spiritual going on. I mean, the last thing that you need is to just see it as all spiritual 
people as if like, in addition to your sleeplessness, what you need is an extra dose of guilt that you're not spiritual enough to get sleep. Like that's the last thing you need keeping you up with that as well. There's a holistic approach. Maybe it's some combination of a couple things, but there is a spiritual dimension to sleep. And this verse is hinting at that. There are times that our need for control and our need for our, our anxiety is producing a lack of sleep, not just sleeplessness and tossing and turning because we feel like it's on our shoulders and we've not rolled it off of our shoulders onto God, but it might be other things. It might be late night bad habits because we're trying to numb ourselves from the anxiety we have all during the week because we think it's all on our shoulders. So maybe it's eating or drinking or binge watching to numb our, our anxiety that we feel and hope that we get some, some sleep. So there can be a spiritual component, but it is not all spiritual. God wants us to see our whole being and handle our whole being with wisdom and with godliness. What is his main point here? His main point here is there is a way to build from a place of restfulness. And it starts by understanding who we are and how God sees us. He sees us as beloved, beloved. He cares about you. He doesn't just care about you. I mean, he, he's, he loves you. You're his child. You're the apple of his eye. He loves you. That means he cares about every part of your life. He cares about your, your work. He cares about, he cares about your finances, your, your, your health. He cares about your, your, your kids. He cares about all parts of you. He cares about that. In other words, he can be trusted with his role of building and managing your life. He can be trusted because he loves you. And when we understand that we're beloved, here's what we do with the things we are building. We, do, we move from a place of, hey, God, here's what I'm building, could you get involved? Two, hey God, could you tell me what you're building? I would like to get involved. One is keeping my hands on the steering wheel saying, unless I build my house with hard work and excellence and God's help, then I'm laboring in vain. The other one says, the only thing that's getting built around here is what God's building. And that's what this text is saying. It's not, God, here's all the things I'm building. I could get some assistance here. I can do 95%, but there's 5% I can't. I need your help. This Psalm and Solomon who constructed an empire, he says, that's not the way it is. You're his beloved. You find out what he's building and you join him. What are you building? Because you're going to build it. How can I get involved with what you're building? Okay, now, now you've got to see where he goes next. We're going to read one more verse because this, um, this is a game changer. And we're going to pause and we're going to pick up the rest of the chapter uh, in the coming weeks. But this next verse is a game changer because he's, uh, I love how this psalm, it's such a setup. This psalm is like a trap, okay? 
this psalm, it's stirring up all of this kind of like builder energy and this watchman energy, and it's stirring up all of this, like, okay, here are the things I need to get done. And man, even while you're preaching, like I'm starting to kind of come up with a to-do list of what I got to do tomorrow, because I got all these things, and we got school coming up and all this stuff. And so like, I've got this, I, I was taking notes, now I'm making a to-do list, but I've got this whole strategy that I'm building up. We get all of this kind of builder watchman energy kind of percolating up, and then look where he goes with this psalm. Look at this verse three. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. You're like, did he just start a new psalm? Because I'm not seeing the connection. I mean, we were talking about like all my life and then he's like, um, hey, now that I, you're thinking about all the things you're building, look, behold, children. This is how I picture it. I picture a father walking south, maybe from Cana in Galilee, maybe from Bethsaida, Capernaum, Nazareth. He's got a long journey down to Jerusalem. And he's walking, his family around him. And as he's walking and he's singing, unless the Lord builds a house, just like us, his mind's wandering to his little stone cutting business and what he's needing to do, or his herds. And he's thinking, man, I was hoping to grow it a little bigger than last year. What am I going to do? And no, the Lord's got to build it. The Lord's got to build it. And then he gets to the next verse. Look, children. And he stops thinking about all these other things that he's building. And he feels the little hands holding his. And right as he's asking the question, God, you show me what are you building and I'll join you. The psalmist says, look who's walking beside you, pilgrim. The little hands you're holding. That's where I'm building. Would you join me there? They're a gift. He says they're a, says they're a heritage and inheritance. He's probably thinking about the flocks and all that energy that he's like, well, my father passed down these flocks and I'm trying to grow up for, for my kids. He's thinking about all this inheritance that he's got and he's saying, you want to know what your inheritance is, pilgrim? These little children, these little hands you're holding. Maybe it's a, a grandparent, these little grandchildren that you hear playing off in front of you, running ahead. See, here's, here's what this psalm, it's such an important pause reset button for you and for me. If the Lord's not building it, it is a waste of time, period, from the Bible. So where then, okay, God, where are you building? He says, look in your home. That's where I want you to join me and build with me. Look at your family. Here's, here's where this is an important reset, but we need to like, we need to hear this like cyclically. Every now and then we need to stop and take inventory, and we've got to build where God is calling us to build, and then we've got to watch over that the way God is watching over. We've got to watch for the things God is watching for. Build where God is building, watch for the things he's watching for. That's what this psalm is telling us to do. So let's start with this. Where is God calling us to build? First and foremost, this is God's priority for your life. 
First and foremost, where you are called to build is in your home, your marriage, your future marriage, your children, your future children, your grandchildren. Your home is the priority. There's, this is psalm. It's not an accident. It's not intended to be really two psalms. It's, to, it's one coherent thought. God is building. Join him in building in your priority in your home. So let's, let's think as my building priority where God's priorities are. Let's start with this. Let's look at the most tactical thing. My schedule do I have a schedule in building where, making sure that I'm building my priority, which is at home? And I'm not just saying this to, to you who are city changers out in the world. This goes for me as a minister as well. The first place that I'm called as a pastor to build, the, the thing that you want in a pastor is a pastor who's first and foremost prioritizing. My marriage is number one. My kids are number two. And then my calling as a minister comes later, but my number one priority is in my home. It's the same for you, whether you're a school teacher, a firefighter, a police officer, a business owner, whether you're at school, whatever it may be, your number one priority that he's called you to first and foremost is in your home. So we can say that, and, what we, and here's what we typically do. Well, yeah, 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 that's why I'm working so hard to build wealth and give uh, opportunities to my kids. That is the world's excuse to go after their ambitions. Don't give your children your money. Give your children you. They need you. Give, look, at your, look at your priorities first and foremost. What is, where is your schedule? That means you are going to build differently than this world. Listen, the idea of God giving you rest, listen, this is critical. The options are not workaholism or laziness. Those are not the two options. The Bible calls us to work hard. Christians should have the strongest work ethic of anyone because we're working for the Lord, not our boss, not the shareholders. Not even for our own accomplishments. We're working for the Lord, for his glory. We should have the strongest work ethic. We should be the most diligent, thoughtful, innovative, industrious workers. There are. We should be the, 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 the um, pouring ourselves off because we acknowledge that we're made in the image of God. We should be the most excellent. We should work hard, but from a place of rest. And because of that work hard, because of that restfulness, then I can prioritize my schedule the way God is calling me to prioritize. When I'm at work, I'm pouring it out. But that's not my life. Behold, I've got a family that is calling me to build. And I bet as that pilgrim was walking to Jerusalem, holding those little hands, and he was thinking about how much his herd had grown since the last year, he looked down and said, but look how fast these children are growing. Priorities at home, look at your calendar, look at your schedule. Look at your energies. Where are you putting your development energy? You say, look, I, 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 just, I don't know how to be a good father. I don't know how to be a good husband. I never saw it. 
Well, that's probably the way you felt at your work at one point, but that didn't stop you from developing yourself to being a builder of excellence. So you, that's no excuse. You know how to grow and develop. Grow and develop as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, as a grandparent. Where are you investing your energies? Where are you investing your energies, not only to develop, but your energies as far as what you're planning? Do I, do I think more about my business plan or my parenting plan? Do I think more of my plan for developing a, a marketing in our, in our business or developing the spiritual health of my children? Where do I invest my, my development energies? Where do I invest um, my planning energies? Where do I give my prayers? Are my prayers more for, because it'll probably reveal where we're building the most. Where am I most investing prayer? Am I spending more time on my family or more time on my work or where? He says, look, take the moment, reset, build where God is building. But then he says, but watch over for the things that God is watching. Focus your priority on your family. Some of you say, well, that is my priority. You wouldn't believe the amount of time I'm putting in with my family. Man, I'm putting a lot of time into my family. I mean, especially like the kids, now that school's starting up, we've got homework and then there's tutoring and then there's, you know, then, then there's this music lessons and then there's the dance classes and then there's a, the athletics and then we've got this, we've got these camps and then we've got this, we're traveling around over here. And I'm, I mean, I'm just going around. I'm an Uber driver, back and forth, back and forth. I'm going everywhere. I spend more time on my kids than I do on myself. Oh, my, my definitely, I am prioritizing on my family. But then here's the second question. Are you watching over your family for the things God is watching over? Do you, maybe you're prioritizing your family, but do you have the priorities in your family that are God's priorities? What are the things God cares about for your children? What are the things that God is saying, these are the things that matter for your marriage? These are the things that matter for your home. Are those your priorities? Are you not only building where God's building, but are you watching for what God's watching for? Because you and I live in a generation when children and grandchildren that grow up in Christian homes will walk away from the church and their faith by uh, the, the statistics as it stands now, by the millions in our generation. So what are your priorities? What that means is as your kids are about to step into that new sports league, as your kids are stepping into new music lessons, as they're stepping into new academics, you can decide to build and construct your house by the building codes of the culture or by the building codes of God's word. But the storms of this life are coming. And what this passage is calling us to is to draw a line in the sand and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Listen, there's a way of building your house by the culture's codes that if you were to drive by your home and your family on the outside, it looks fine. But it is a lot more shaky than it looks. And what it looks like to build by the culture's building codes rather than God's building codes, that means then the coaches, 
The tutors, the instructors, the teachers will tell you how to spend your time. They'll say, well, look, if you're going to do this, and if you're going to be successful here, and if you're going to do this, then this is how you and your child will spend your time. And too many Christians unfortunately say, okay, that's just what it means to consider. This is how we're building the house. And they're building a house by the culture's building codes rather than saying, no, I know I'm going to walk through this world as an alien and a stranger, but I am building something that's on the rock. I'm building something that the foundation is Jesus. I'm building children that I'm going to send out that are mighty warriors for Jesus Christ. I'm building children that are going to go out and be leaders. I'm building future mathetes, all or nothing disciples. I'm building future city changers that are grounded on Jesus Christ and go out, not just into successful careers by the world standards. No, what I care about is that we're sending out children that are missionaries into their city so that they can continue the work of seeing their city transformed by the power of the gospel. We're going to be building children, which means our codes are going to be different from the world's codes. Do you agree, church? The scripture is telling us, build where God is building and watch over the things that the world is watching over. The world has different priorities, different, stand, different schedules, different standards of success, but we have a few short, short years to establish those little lives of children and grandchildren and to build them on the rock. Join the Lord in building first and foremost the souls of your children. Make that your priority. And here's the good news. As you build where God's building and you're watching over the things God is watching over, you are doing all that's hard work, but you're at a place of rest because you know he's like, I've got it. You're my, chi you're my child, and I have you by the hand. You're my beloved. You seek first the kingdom of God and all these things. If I can take care of the sparrow and the lily of the field. <laughs> I can take care of it. You just seek first the kingdom of God. You just put your head on the pillow at night knowing that you need sleep, but God doesn't. And he's watching over it. Do you know what it took to make you his beloved? A tortured, sleepless night by the beloved son, Jesus. How anxious was he? Great sweat droplets of blood dripped from his forehead while his friends fell asleep on him. He tossed and turned, asking God to take the bitter cup of wrath he was about to drink from him. He was alone without his father who, had, who turned away and forsook him so that we could find a father. He had a sleepless night so that you and I never have to have one. Jesus was arrested in that garden. He was, went through a, a trial, found falsely accused, all in injustice, tortured, murdered, crucified, dead, buried, and he rose again. That's what he suffered 
so that you could be called God's beloved. You're not God's beloved because of your holiness. You're God's beloved because of what he accomplished for you. No one can take that away from you. Rest in that. But maybe some of you today need to, once and for all, maybe you're like, I'm not sure if he sees me like that. I'm not sure if I'm his child. I feel long ways away from him. Let's, let's make that right today. You can make that right right now. Let me lead you in a prayer. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I want you to find the rest of being God's beloved. I want you to find the rest of being his child. You're not his child just by trying to be good and trying to do things his way. You can't earn the way your way to being his beloved. You're his beloved because of what Jesus did. You just accept that. You just receive that adoption through Jesus. Your sins washed away, all that forgiveness, you receive that adoption through Jesus. And so if you want to accept that today, I want to lead you in a prayer. If that's you, maybe you're here, maybe you're watching online, maybe you're at Cooper City. If that's you, I want you to pray this simple prayer right there. Silently, just between you and God, say, Jesus, thank you for loving me like that. I believe that you died alone so that I could find a father. Thank you for calling me beloved. Thank you for being king over my life. I give you my life and I receive salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if that was your prayer just then, what I wanna encourage you to do, those of you who are here, I want you to go into that front lobby at the end of the service. I want you to don't leave before you go by guest services. We've got a gift for you. It's a Bible. It's God's word. Stop by there. Say, hey, I put my faith in Jesus. I'd love to have a Bible. Let them give you a Bible and celebrate with you. If you're watching online, you can do the same thing just by going to cityrev.org slash faith. We'll mail you a Bible because we want to celebrate this incredible Thanks step. for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.